welcome to Bible Shots, uh, the live stream for this week, the live stream of Bible Shots hosted by City Bible Forum. Uh, I'm Lachlan and it's great to have you joining us today. Uh, they're Bible Shots because like an espresso shot, they aim to be short, uh, but also have an impact and hopefully leaving you feel energized for the rest of the afternoon. And they're Bible Shots because we think the Bible has something relevant and important, uh, even sustaining to stay. Uh, so we wanna take time out uh, to consider that message during the week. We have a simple format, we read part of the Bible, we hear a talk on that part of the Bible, and then we have some time afterwards for Q&A. Uh, if you want to be part of the Q&A, if you've got questions that you want to ask our speaker, Steve, today, uh, the easiest way is to be part of our Zoom meeting and use the Q&A function uh, to send questions to me. But if you're on Facebook Live, uh, you can uh, write your questions in the comments section uh, and Janelle, one of my colleagues, will send them to me uh, so I can have them on my list of questions to ask Stephen as well. But I'll cover that again uh, just before we go into Q&A time. Uh, not everyone who comes along to Bible Shots or joins the live stream would say they are a follower of Jesus. Uh, you may have never opened a Bible before and that's okay. Uh, our speakers work hard to make the Bible as accessible as possible. So as long as you're happy to consider what the Bible has to say, we're glad to have you joining us. Uh, and if you're happy to engage civilly, we'd love uh, engagement through the Q&A time. So if you've got questions, uh, however tough they might be, uh, we'd love you to get involved. Uh, our speaker today is Steve McAlpine. Uh, and Steve, now you were speaking last week, but some of us might not know uh, much about you. Um, so I was wondering if you could just answer a couple of questions for us. And firstly, sure. what do you do work-wise? Well, I work uh, for Third Space, which is part of City Bible Forum. So our aim is to uh, find places that people can have uh, common ground to have discussions about Jesus, whether that's education areas or church or schools or workplaces or whatever it is, family life. We provide materials for people to have open up discussion about spiritual matters. And also we provide a website, which is itself a third space, a place to go to for information. Great. Uh, now I was going to ask as my second question, what is third space? But uh, I guess I answered that. that. Um, but what, what have you been uh, enjoying about working at third space? Um, well, uh, what I haven't enjoyed recently is not being able to work with the people I actually work with because I live in Perth um, and they, most of them live in Sydney. Uh, I've enjoyed uh, putting together material that, uh, and thinking through the process of what questions people are asking. So uh, doing podcasts and videos and things like that really pushing us to think what questions are people asking in our world about Jesus or how would Jesus answer some of those questions? And then we've done Q and A at schools on, um, on zoom as well. Uh, and that's been really encouraging P any question people want to ask. So any the kids, so it's been good. Nice. I guess even though it's sad you haven't been able to see your colleagues physically, uh, one of the boons for us is that we're able to get you to speak at Bible Shots, which would normally be a bit trickier to have yeah. you for four weeks in a row. Fly over every week, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so finally, what have you been doing to stay sane during isolation? Isolating. I'm an introvert. <laughs> I love staying. I love my, my own company. <laughs> and I work from home, obviously, writing and prepare, preparing material. So isolation hasn't been too bad. I actually do a couple of days for a church as well, working wise. So there's lots of people in my life and uh, I still get to see them on Zoom, but I've been enjoying being in my uh, study a little bit. Excellent. Well, uh, thanks for sharing, Steve. Uh, now we're going to look at part of the Bible now. I'm uh, going to share, the, share my screen that has the Bible verse, uh, the passage that we're looking at uh, on it. And um, if you'd like to follow along during the talk, um, just go to Bible Gateway. Uh, you can see the website at the top, Bible Gateway, and put Haggai, uh, one Haggai one in the search uh, and you can follow along yourself but otherwise 
uh, I'm going to read this out now from verse uh, 12 to 15, the bit that's just highlighted there now. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the Lord, of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. All right. Thank you, Steve. Thanks very much. Well, today we're looking at the titles, uh, God's Blueprint for Change. And the question is, how does real change happen in our lives? How do we put aside the things that we don't like about ourselves, the addictions or the actions that we tend to loop back into or that distract or destroy us or uh, sort of our relationships? Uh, but on the other side, how do we keep doing the things that we do like about ourselves, cultivating the virtues that are positive for us and for those we love? Why does so much change, putting stuff aside, uh, picking stuff up, seem so hard and often so temporary? We fall back into the old ways. Now, if you've asked that question of yourself after signing up for yet another gym membership, uh, you're not alone. You're not alone in this virtual room, I suspect, and not alone in the long line of humanity that's come before us. We've all asked that question, haven't we? How do I change? Now, there are any number of answers. Uh, let me today, for the sake of convenience, break it down to two categories. The religious answer, the outside answer, and a materialist answer, a non-religious or inside answer. In a religious world, and that's both the ancient world and the modern religious world, that are dominated by a spiritual understanding of who we are, the answer to how do I change is often to look up uh, in worship, adoration towards God, or something up there other than ourselves. But in our Western materialist world, dominated by a more therapeutic understanding of who we are, the answer is different altogether. Whereas in a religious world, we look up. In a therapeutic world, we tend to look in. So today, in our Western context, we're more on an existential road trip to the interior to find ourselves and to be the uh, authentic individuals that somehow we know we are in there somewhere if we could just find it despite what's going on on the surface. Now, the whole modern day psychological industry is actually built on that assumption. Now, the disclaimer here is that my wife uh, is a clinical psychologist and runs a clinical psychology practice uh, where people actually come looking for change. So people are searching for something inside, a missing puzzle piece or something that's uh, dislodged, like a plug-in, I suppose. They're kind of looking for some killer app that six sessions of psychotherapy might install or reveal to them that's already there within them. But whether it's religious looking up or materialist therapeutic looking in, the desire is pretty much the same, I'd say, change. I want something about me to change. How can that happen? Now, here's our fear, I reckon. The older we get, the longer change does not happen, the less likely it is to do so. I don't know how you feel about that at your age, uh, but that's how I feel. <laughs> In a tangled mess of both religious and therapeutic uh, coming together, that most modern day anti-hero, Homer Simpson, has this lament. 
Well, maybe I do swear too much, but that's the way God made me. And besides, I'm too old to change now. <laughs> There's something fatalistic about that, isn't there? Something that perhaps that we feel too. Uh, you, you know, slot in whatever area it is in your life. You go, I'm 30, 40, 50, 60. That habit, that addiction, that attitude, it's kind of become a river that's carving out a deep canyon in my life that over time becomes resistant to any change of course. Now, if that's you today, then I want you to be encouraged and possibly even liberated by what happens in these few short verses in the book of the prophet Haggai in the Old Testament. Now, last week, we looked at how God's people, the nation of Israel, had returned from hard years of exile and found themselves in what was turning out to be even more hard years back home in Israel. The gloss had worn off their return. At first, their hostile neighboring nations around them, and then the pagan king to whose empire they belonged, had pressured them to stop working on rebuilding God's temple. Now, the temple was the central part of their Jewish identity. It was the national gathering place where the sacrifice for sin against God was made and where God had promised that his presence with his people would be specially located. Now, the nation had started renovating the ruins of the temple. Uh, the ruins were a result of the tragic siege and defeat by Babylon some several decades earlier. But now, given the chance to go home, they'd launched into the project with great gusto, only then to be cowed and dispirited by surrounding opposition, as the edict from the empire and the king told them, stop working on the temple. You're problematic. You're going to cause trouble. So for 20 years after the king had made the edict, stop working on the temple, nothing had changed. The temple renovation lay dormant and looked for all the world like a failed venture. Now, let me think about a failed housing venture. There's a grand housing project near where we live. And as I was writing that, this uh, talk uh, the other day, I was thinking about this grand housing project near us. At least it was grand when it was started. It's this big white house with kind of modernist features and nice windows, or would have a nice windows if they weren't boarded up. But it's on a main road where um, I used to take my daughter to primary school past that road. Well, it's still the same with the same chain uh, link fence around it, the same boarded up windows, and she drives past it now. <laughs> and she's safely ensconced in tertiary studies. <laughs> Nothing has changed for almost 15 years. The grand design is now grain decay, all vision for the project long gone. Well, it was until Sunday when something changed. You see, the temple in Jerusalem last week, we looked at how Haggai, God's mouthpiece to Israel, called for work to start again after 20 years. He pitched a vision that the temple work, just like that building near me, had been in decay too long. And he recast the vision from 20 years ago. And he showed that the refusal to build was in fact the refusal by God's people to honour their God. And he's asking the question, why aren't you rebuilding the temple? Why are you not doing what you should? Why are you not honouring God by rebuilding? And the question I'm asking is, how do you change an ingrained 20-year practice or habit? How do you start something you should have started 20 years ago? You know that feeling in middle of March when you went, I should have started exercising in January. 
and now it's March. What's the point? <laughs> is it even possible to change? Well, the answer in Haggai is startling. Last week, we looked at verse one of chapter one and the passage from there, and it says a timeline of when the change began. The first day of the sixth month of the second year of the reign of King Darius, the Persian, is when the message of Haggai to God's people, change comes. And the last verse of the same chapter, which we just read, says this, the 26th day of the sixth month in the second year of the reign of the king. Nothing for 20 years, a call from Haggai to change, and 25 days later, work recommences. And I wrote this last week. Astonishing. It would be like me driving past that boarded up house and seeing builders putting finishing touches to it. And guess what? On Sunday, I drove past it and the chain fence was down and there was someone clearing the block. And I, I almost drove off the road. I said to my wife, that house, they're doing something with it. I can't believe they're starting to change. So what changed in Haggai's day? What changed among the people of God? What changed that enabled them to recommence a renovation project that they'd left off 20 years ago? Well, the key is in the few short verses that we're looking at today, verses 12 to 14. And what we find is something that answers both the religious and the modernist quest for change. Because there's a look up aspect to the change that happens, and there's a look in aspect. And because it involves both of those, look up and look in, I think this passage shows that, that there's a power to bring total change, total in every sense, that can actually transform us as well. It changes everything about us. The first thing to notice is that the change changes everyone. It says in verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of Haggai. This was a top of the culture change all the way down. The governor, the religious ruling class, and the whole remnant or everyone else. And it's a change that's total in that it goes that way and it changes everything about them. It changes their disobedience to God to obedience to God. It changes their lack of work on the temple to completing the work on the temple. Obedience to God exhibited by immediate recommencement of the work on the temple. Now you think about how a society works. That is societal change at a level we don't often see. Now it's true that sometimes we see whole areas of culture change or institutions that have resisted change um, have to change because of something like a Royal Commission on the banks or something like that. But other institutions tend to go along their merry way. And it's true that we see sweeping change, but we never really see everything change for everyone everywhere. Yet it does happen here in Haggai. Something radical must have happened that the whole culture changes and so quickly. What do we read? It says this, doesn't it? Verse 12, the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him because the Lord their God had sent him. Now at one level that looks like internal change was the key, that somehow something changed within them. That's the therapeutic understanding of change. Um, 
you know, was Haggai saying, see what you could be, see how you could build a better temple than you had 20 years ago, if only you'd changed back then. Perhaps Haggai was tapping into their desire to be a better person or a higher self. But there's that hint there. Why did they obey Haggai's message? Because the Lord, their God, had sent him. And then it says, and the people feared the Lord. Before Haggai's message had come, they had not feared the Lord. How do we know? Because that's what it said last week. They weren't honoring God. They were building their own houses, their own plans, and not his. Here's the key. Without God's intervention, true, radical, lasting change cannot happen. Without God doing the work in them first, they were never going to start work on the temple. Now, I want to stop there and just pause because uh, contrary to maybe what you think about the Bible, this is the key to the whole message of the Bible and how things work, either in the Old Testament before Jesus or the New Testament with Jesus. Change in us does not begin with us. The Bible says that we are powerless to enact true, lasting, radical change in our own lives. In Haggai's time, it was not until God's word came to them, God speaking to them, that God's work was commenced by them. There was no common will or mind springing up within the people, someone going, hey, maybe we should do this or maybe we should do that to rebuild the temple prior to that first day of the sixth month. Yet there was a common will and mind to rebuild after that day. Do you think that's a coincidence? I don't think so. God's powerful word came to the people and something about the way God spoke to them changed them. But it goes deeper. It's not just an outward assent to change or a decision to take up the work tools again. Look what it says in verses 13 and 14. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to, of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Josedach, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. Two things to note. Who is with them? Is it their own resolve? Is it their own better selves? No, it's God. God says, I am with you. How is he with them? It says he stirs their spirit. In other words, something deep within them, their desires, their inner being is changed by God. You see, it's both a look up, there's a word that comes from God, and a look in. God stirs something in them that changes. God brings both the desire for change where there is no desire. Remember last week, they were off building their own paneled houses and not God's. God brings the desire to change. But here's the other thing. God brings the power to change where there is no power. It's one thing to have the desire to change. It's another thing to be able to have the power to enact that desire. And God brings both those things. It's a total renovation project for the people. That's the story of the Bible. That's God's way of changing people, of bringing lasting change when we don't have the desire or power to do it. God brings desire to change and God brings power to change because anything else I think is pretty much pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, which doesn't tend to work. 
only this is good news, that God brings desire and power. And that's perhaps why we read in the New Testament these words in Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners or rebels against him, Christ died for us. Do you see what's going on there? God initiates an action, sending his son to die for us, not because we had changed, but because we hadn't and couldn't. That's the God of Haggai. That's uh, the God of the Bible. God takes the initiative to bring about change in us. Biblical change is not us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps or strapping in for a white knuckle ride to try and change ourselves. It starts with a transformation work from God. And God says to us through Haggai and through the Bible, trust me. Now, I'm going to ask you this question. Think about your own lives. What do you need to change? Or what have you left behind 20 years ago that you should have changed, but you haven't? Even if the dust has settled on you, even if the renovation project feels boarded up in your life or the will to complete it is gone, here's the hope. God says, I can be with you and I can change you. I am with you through what my son, the Lord Jesus, has done on the cross. His death for your refusal to honour me is the way that I can initiate true and lasting change in you. So God's saying two things. He's saying, look up to me, <laughs> look up to me, and then look in at what I can change within your life. Look at the foundational change that I can do. Now, there's one last brilliant change in this passage, and it's very personal. And this is where I'd say that change really comes in. If God is going to work in your life, this is the thing that changes the most. In the first part of this chapter, God is described almost in impersonal terms. He's described as the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel. It's uh, kind of distant, kind of impersonal. But in these last verses of this chapter, after God has initiated change in their lives, it says the people obeyed the Lord Almighty, their God. Their God, not the God, their God. Do you see how that happens? That when God changes someone, he doesn't just change them as if he's a plug and play or a killer app. It's personal. He comes to them. He comes to us with power to change. And he is our God to do that. And we relate to him personally. God or the idea of who God is, is no longer an abstract idea or a distant concept, but a vital personal relationship. Now, there are obviously other complications to change over the course of a life. But these are the deep things of change. The true change begins when the Lord Almighty becomes your God. And true change lasts when the Lord Almighty remains your God. And he can be your God today in exactly the same way that he was several hundred years BC to the people in the book of Haggai. That's where true change begins and that's how true change lasts. Thanks very much. Fantastic. Thank you, Steve. Um, we will uh, jump over to you for Q&A in just a moment. Uh, and so if you are uh, participating, you'd like to join in the Q&A, there's a couple of ways to do that. The easiest way uh, is if you're on the Zoom meeting to use the Q&A function and send me your questions. Uh, but if you're watching via 
one of the Facebook live streams, uh, you should be able to comment in uh, down the bottom and one of my colleagues, Janelle, will send me the questions uh, as well so they can go into my uh, bank of questions to ask Steve. Um, a couple of things just to draw your attention to uh, before we jump into Q&A. Uh, one is that uh, we are just jumped on my Facebook there as I was uh, looking at the, uh, the live stream. If you'd like to jump on our mailing list uh, so that you can get updated just in case there's any uh, particular problems or change to the schedule, both of which happened this week, uh, we've shifted the meeting time uh, 10 minutes earlier uh, just to, to help facilitate uh, more people being able to join. Uh, and and uh, the link that I originally sent out in the email was uh, broken and so I had to update that today. So if you would like to be uh, kept in the loop in case of changes, you might like to join the mailing list. The way to do that is to jump onto our website, uh, currently on your screen, citybibleforum.org. And uh, if you just scroll down to upcoming events and to uh, Bible shots and click on more info, uh, when, you, when this page loads, you can uh, scroll down and uh, please contact Lachlan or you can click on that link uh, and email me. Let me know that you would actually like to uh, be added to the mailing list. Um, also coming up, you may have seen on the front of the webpage, is our uh, upcoming EDGE event, our EDGE event, uh, Fear the Future. Um, Currently, uh, that is on the 14th of May, that's next Thursday, and we're going to be uh, looking at uh, Fear the Future, Uncertainty in Uncertain Times. And if you've not been to an EDGE event before, uh, the EDGE events try to consider issues of relevance to contemporary society and some of the ways that the Bible might contribute to that discussion. Uh, it's a free online event. It'll be 7.30 to 9 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. And uh, our speakers will be uh, Sam Chan, who works with City Bible Forum, Natasha Moore, who works for the Centre for Public Christianity, and Russ Matthews will be the moderator. So you can register through the City Bible Forum website uh, and the splash page that you saw just a moment ago. Uh, but now, Steve, uh, we will uh, jump back to question time. Uh, there's a couple of questions that have been coming through, um, mm -hmm. but um, a couple of them have revolved sort of around a similar theme. So uh, there's plenty of people who've made positive changes without Jesus, the Bible, or God, um, and we're unlikely to see God on the cutting edge of thinking about behaviour change. Why is God so important, and are there legitimate substitutes to God to affect change? Yeah, I don't think that there aren't legitimate... Well, there are substitutes. Um, I think motivation, is come, issues of motivation come into things. And I think this is where change can be dangerous outside of someone changing you externally. Uh, part of the issue for me is when we do change, um, where do we fall back when we fall back into our old habits? How do we ensure that change isn't something that either crushes us if we can't keep change going? See, this is the, the Bible's very realistic about what we're like as humans. Um, part of the issue is that we are told that we should um, confess our sin and uh, repent. <laughs> uh, that's the word. I, but we were to do that all the time as Christians. The Bible isn't telling us that you change completely and fully once you are changed by God in a sense that you'll still do things that are wrong. You'll still need to come back to God for strength and power and forgiveness and move on. And I think there's a realistic nature about how we change as Christians, that God changes us. The, the gospel is that God changes our state before him from a position of, I'd said, sinner, <laughs> as someone who's against God, to someone who is God's friend. And then the rest of our lives is working out the processes of that. 
I think the gospel actually gives you a deep level of honesty about here are some of the things I haven't been able to change much about my life, but this is the direction I'm going in. it. Mm. I also think that sometimes, and uh, this is perhaps I'm being cautious saying this, that we don't change as much as we say we do, but we change the way we speak about what we're doing. <laughs> if that makes sense. I think change that doesn't allow you to confess your faults uh, sometimes ends up being uh, kind of kind of fudge it a little bit. I'm not saying other change doesn't happen, uh, but I am saying that uh, Christianity is very realistic that change is a stuttering process. Now, my wife is a clinical psychologist, so she sees people change in certain ways and certain things. But one of the issues that doesn't change is that people's understanding of how the world goes is, is I can filter uh, reality through my a certain lens. So certain changes that people don't want to make in their lives, they can reframe as positives rather than negative things, even though it may still be affecting other people negatively. So, you know, that person's a gossip, but hey, I just like to say it like it is. <laughs> I think there's something deep about how the Bible describes the fact that God will change us, but that we are still broken in the process. I think there's a deep level of honesty about that because when we do fall down, in, we don't have to deny it. We can say, as it says in the Bible, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And that's talking to people who have already been transformed by God, that we just keep coming back to confession. Mm -hmm. I think that's the liberty of Christianity compared to other forms of change, if that makes sense. I, it's a complex issue because I am married to psychologists. I get the change thing as a process thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, thank you, Steve. And uh, there's a couple of questions that have come through that I think are uh, perhaps coming at us, maybe coming at a similar issue from another angle. Um, but so if um, if God is the one who initiate change, initiates change, or if people who uh, would say they're followers of Jesus try to change but don't, either mm -hmm. you know if they make some initial changes and then they revert back, or they just they don't change very much at all. Um, What's going on there? Uh, if God, you know, if God's the one who makes change, uh, you know, should we be worried? Or yeah, how do we make sense of that? I think that is the most anguished question that people ask mm. of a pastoral situation where they meet with their pastor or go to see a Christian psychologist or something like that. How come the person I'm supposed to be on the blueprint doesn't look like the person I am? Because I think over, t I think that change is is a long process and there are certain things about us that take a long time to change in the process. Some things happen immediately. I also think that the desire to change and the desire to keep going in a change direction is part of the change. Uh, plenty of people don't have a desire to change, but then plenty of people who want to change and struggle in the mix. Um, I think they're probably going a little better than they think they are. And there are plenty of people who have a very, um, have a very, uh, I guess, tender spirit and don't see any change in their lives. The other thing I'd say is you may not be the best judge of how much you have changed. <laughs> Other people may be a good judge of that. But I recognise there are things in our lives that cling on tight. I would say that you'd look at the people in Haggai's day and say they still needed Jesus to come along. <laughs> it's not like they built that temple and everything was great. They, Jesus was still rejected by his people the nation of Israel, because change hadn't even gone deep enough at that point. It wasn't until Jesus came, who was the fulfillment of the shadow of the temple, I suppose, where true change was really initiated. 
you had to lean on the promises of God at that point that he will transform us over time. But the Christian hope is not that I change everything now. The Christian hope is the resurrection, that God will transform us fully one day to make us in, in who we and how we behave as he has declared us to be righteous. So we're always in a process of change. And I think process of change is how we work. If you just changed completely overnight, everything about who you are today, you'd probably have a mental breakdown because you wouldn't be able to adapt that quickly to who you are. Complex, but I think there are psychological aspects to change that God works with as well. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. It is complex. But thankfully, we've also recorded this talk. So if you're thinking, oh, there's some good stuff in there and I, I couldn't quite follow all of it, uh, the video is going to be online. And so you'll be able to go back and have a look and, uh, and work through it uh, a little bit more slowly, which I think uh, I might need to do as well. I think I definitely saw some of those links there, but want to think a little bit more about it. Um, we've hit yeah. 1.30 and so we might need to uh, wrap things up there. Um, but Steve, we've got you back again next week and you'll be talking about building for the future. Um, are we continuing to develop this theme that we were talking about today? Is it going to be a little bit different? What are we going to be looking at? Well, I guess uh, what we're going to look at in the next uh, week or so, and perhaps this comes into it because what happens next week is that the temple that they're building looks pretty rubbish. And God's saying to them, do you feel really bad about this? Well, cling on. So I perhaps thought that this week would raise a lot of questions about that change aspect that next week, when we look at how pitiful the second temple being built actually looked compared to the original, it raises questions. Can God do something even more when we feel like the change hasn't really pushed the buttons the way we'd hoped it had? Is there a process of change? So I'm probably holding this week and next week in tension a little bit if people can cling on to that. No, excellent. Thanks. Well, we'll look forward, I guess, to, to part two and the conclusion uh, of, of some of those, uh, those tension points that we've got. Uh, we'll look forward to hearing that. Uh, thank you for joining us on the live stream. Uh, again, if you want to let us know uh, that you want to jump on the mailing list or if you have any feedback, perhaps about the change of time, and if that's uh, good, neutral, uh, or uh, doesn't work for you, let us know uh, via that, uh, that online contact form. Uh, we'll look forward to seeing you uh, same time next week for our next episode of Bible Shots. See you then.